The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. <laughs> the father of the and the holy toast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and I'm joined by our guest Charlie Clawson this week, uh, Lawrence Moody. Welcome, Lawrence. Uh, thank you very much, Will. Is it Tofog? Oh, well, it was Tofop. It was named after... Tofop, yeah. Yeah, so it was a the parody of, of... Pod. Podcast, yeah, right. right? Okay. Uh, after Russell Crowe's band. Mm. And then uh, now at the moment it's called Fofop. Has Russ ever been on the on the fof, on the the Tofop or the Fofop? I would love Russ to come on. Do you know he... Russ? Uh, look... Here's the thing. I've met Russ a couple of times over the years, yeah. and I assume that this podcast is on his radar. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, and I don't mean that he's listening to it every week. But if anyone is doing a parody of you that, like, he's clearly, you know... I mean, this thing's up the top of the charts most weeks. and whatever. Eventually, someone's got to go, hey, their podcast is named after your band, right? right? Particularly as I talk about all the time that it's named after his band. And I think so- Russ kind of meters his, you know... Uh, what's going on in the world? I'm, I'm sure that he's got a you know Google search. Oh my god, he's all p- over Twitter. Do you follow Russell Crowe on no. Twitter? Oh my god, he just every day he just like does he, he tweet in his own voice? Does it does it sound like anyway? Um, that's how on, I went to the Rabbitohs. That's how I hear I it. Smashed a guy. That's definitely how I hear it. <laughs> right. And then mostly it's just about what weights he's doing and how long he was on his bike. Really? Like he tweets his gym sessions. What's what's he bench pressing? Well, I mean, like, he'll tell you, like, right. if you follow. I'm not, I mean, I haven't, I, I, I haven't I, made a chart. I've but... got a personal trainer at the moment. I'm doing oh. three days a week in the gym. Is that a new thing? Uh, it's been going s- since October. And Why did you go with the personal trainer? I mean, I've had a personal trainer before as well. So Why did I go with that, a personal trainer? Was this a first-time personal trainer? Uh, no, I've had two personal trainers. Right. The first one is pretty famous, actually. His name is Gregory Roberts. And he wrote Shantaram. He's, oh, my God. He's an armed robber. Or yeah. was an armed robber. Yeah. And uh, he was f- famed as the Gentleman Bandit. And he was my first personal trainer. When he got out of prison in 1997, yeah. after being caught by Interpol in Germany, came back to serve the rest of his sentence. He was working at the Galleon down in St Kilda. And I wanted to start exercising. And a mate of mine had him as his personal trainer. But personal trainer with a difference, he would roll up to your house with the weights. Right. And we would do, like, a maximum security prison session in the back garden. He would just be like, come on, push. And we became And so it was close. like it was like you were in prison. Oh, well, I, that's would my, you occasionally that get other guys? <laughs> <laughs> my, my fantasy extended to the fact that I said to my mate Mark, do you reckon he's getting us ready for a job? Right, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Where he goes, all right, meet me tomorrow night. We're going to do a session in the gym, then we're on. That's but, a great... You know what? That's a funny movie. It's not a bad movie. You should pitch that yeah. movie. But like I, the guy who's the bank robber who becomes the personal trainer, and then one day it, it turns out he's just been training you all up with the specific skills for the job. Yeah, and then we just go our separate ways. Yeah. He, uh, 
he told great stories, of course. He of course. escaped from Pentridge Prison in yeah. Melbourne. That would be a great workout routine. If you came around to your house and, and he locked you in the house wall. and you've got to escape. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's climbing, there's digging. Do you know what a, a really good workout is? Um, to resist a prison rape. Right. And <laughs> because you've really got to, you've got to fight for your life. You know, <laughs> Essentially, I don't know whether you've ever done this, but pushing a personal trainer, they do this where you you push them away, oh, yeah, yeah. do some push-ups and then yeah. push them again. And pushing a man is moving a big mass. Right. And it's very exhausting. And essentially, if there was more than one, you could only push for so long before you submit. That oh, would, absolutely. Resisting a prison rape would be a great workout. In fact, I'm going to go to the gym that I'm at and say... Prison rape workout yeah. night. Sorry, resisting prison rape. That's <laughs> yeah. the, the very important. I mean, I think resisting. it's gonna, I think it's going to be hard to picture the best of times. Mm. But I feel like you're going to have best success if you leave the word resisting in there. Yeah, resisting is very important. Yeah. I would have thought if you said to guys, "Hey guys, prison, prison rape, rape workout." <laughs> no. Are you working out for it to right. look more attractive, or what are we doing? But he had great stories, and what I always enjoy talking to men who have been in conflict. Uh, especially, you know, men who have been in prison. It's like, how do you how do you survive in prison? Right. What happens? I'm fascinated by that because that because I don't thing. know. I don't think and I he would tell me prison. prison. So, well, he told me this. He said prison is divided into two men, into two uh, parts. types of men. Types of men. Yeah. Uh, one type of man is cowed and broken by prison. Right. That would be me. And Day one one, <laughs> one, one type, when they wash me down. One type of man. Flourishes in prison, right? And uh, so I'm watching him open mouth, and he said, "And you're the type of man that would flourish in prison." He said that to you, yeah. Which oh. is like, have Did you, you ever seen Caddyshack? Like, I've never heard anything nicer about myself. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing in Caddyshack. You should use that as a quote on your posters for your comedy yeah. festival shows. The type of man that would flourish, flourish in, prison, in prison, Greg Roberts, author of Santorum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think, as a man, that's as big an endorsement as you could ever have. Right. You would flourish in prison. You would flourish when it becomes absolutely animal and bottom line, when we're talking about doomsday, you'll do all right. I think it's you a great would blessing. do all right. It's a great blessing. But How would you do all right, though? What do you think? Like, if you are in prison, go with that hypothetical okay. situation. You get sent to prison. Let's say, what do, you, what do you want to have done? It's up to you. You're going to prison. So I, I've, what uh, have you done? What are you most likely to go to prison for? I've stabbed someone with a screwdriver for wronging my family. All right. That's good. So that's a, that's a just prison sentence yeah, as well. The, in the side of the fucking head. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was weird that you went down to Bunnings first and took an hour to yeah. choose a screwdriver. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I, de- I decided on a Phillips head in right. the end. It's like, it's going to end up in his head, and his name's Philip. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the irony. Yeah. <laughs> the irony, yeah. irony, irony. <laughs> so uh, you go to prison, and they only send you in for, I'm going to say, what, so five to seven years for that? Yep. Because it's just... Justifiable. He'd, he'd wronged your family in some way, right? So and, I'm, and I'm not at risk of doing it again. Right. So, basically, but that's a, still a stretch. Mm. Five to seven's a but stretch, actually, right? No, I reckon they're going to give me more than seven because I, uh, the prosecution's going to say it was premeditated. Oh, yeah, because you went and, to Bunnings. And the, the and man... And sausage, the people, sausage sizzle. People could hear the man begging for his life. Yeah. And you read out a prepared speech. <laughs> 
being a performer, I really... Right. No, I'm, I don't want him to die not knowing no. why he's about to exactly die. Exactly why. Yeah, so I'm ready, I mean, reading you, a pro- proclamation. And the weird thing was that they were able to trace your steps because you've been trialling that shit at Spleen <laughs> yeah. and at Soft Valley during the week. I put it up on YouTube. Yeah, put it down at the local. Yeah. <laughs> this is the stabbing monologue. Yeah. Yeah, so... Okay, so, so I, you're going for five to seven. What's your approach once you're in prison? Well, I'm personable. I'm, yeah. I'm a personable, you know, affable person that can speak to princes and paupers. Right. But I'm also prepared to do anything to survive. And that, I think that that radiates through your skin. Right. But So it, do you feel like you would be a power broker or would you be someone's no, friend no, of I'd, a power I'd, broker? I'd, You'd be like in a power broking group. I'd be fine, but I'm not going to... Um, You're not going to let me be I'm the I'm not going to prostitute myself. Right. I'm not going to let someone make me their bitch. Right. Uh, that's step number one. And step number two is uh, I'll then, you know, I'll seek to make this place a better place. Oh, really? I will, I will, I will unite us all. And the smart ones, and this is the thing with prisons, is often they're full of people who aren't great criminals. Right. Or Well, because they got caught. They got caught. Right. That's right. The, the best criminals are yep. still walking free. And so I've, I've thought about prison too much. And I no, think no, men no, no, no. You finally found the... the uh, when you said beforehand, hey, what's this podcast about? Mostly prison talk. So you yeah. found exactly what I think most men fantasise about prison one way or another. Yeah, Because right. the judicial system works in this way, and that is uh, all men will be sexually assaulted if they break the law. Right. It's not that we're going to have our freedom removed from us. No. It's that something else is going to happen. Right. And that is tacitly signed off on by governments and police and, and prison authorities. Right. Everyone agrees to it's that. It's like it's part of the punishment. Yeah, you, you go to prison, you'll be raped. Yeah. Oh, isn't prison the punishment? No. No. No, you'll be bashed and raped. No, you'll, yeah. And so every man knows You will that. be subjugated to the things that normally would get you locked in prison. And I can tell you one thing, Will, if, if that wasn't the case there would be sporadic gunfire in the streets because removing a man's freedom isn't enough. Isn't enough? <laughs> isn't a big enough threat. So you're basically saying it's latent homophobia that's keeping society in order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the fear of having your ass reamed yeah, makes prison. us, you know, not rob banks or sell drugs. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, and, and the male psyche goes, well, they've got rid of capital punishment and right. corporal punishment. They don't die. flog us anymore. Yeah. Locking us up? That's right. what we love. Yeah. We're being loved. What, I can lay on my bed and watch TV? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's, I'll work out for an hour a day? And chain smoke and go to the gym and right. not have to commit to a relationship with a woman? Right. That's for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but you will be. Right. You will be raped so that's by a man. What, basically, that's yeah, just... Yeah, I'm, I'm still... That's just to keep people out of prison. That's what? That's just to keep the numbers that's down. Our, that's, that's the fabric of our highly evolved civilised society. I mean, it is a weird thing that you, like, I do, because I always think, because I do think about it as well, like, if I went to prison for whatever reason, um, then, you know, who would I be? And I can't, I, I don't think that I do have the confidence to say that I would be able to survive in prison. I, I, I think that if your public profile is high, and I think Glenn Wheatley found this, I think that the psychological warfare on you is huge. Right. Because people are using your name and they're using information about you. And the whole prison thing about being initiated into it, you come in and people are calling out to you. They're trying to break you spiritually because it's, you know, it's animal. Right. And you get that whole meow right. and all that screaming out and carrying on and you get into your prison cell and the guy's like, he 
he is territorial. Right. You're the newcomer. Right. So you curl up in a ball on your bunk and try not to let your sobs be heard. It's frightening. I think that I would become a drug addict. And when I say right. become, that's probably the reason I've been thrown in prison in the first place. But, yeah, but I yeah think, tell me, why, why did you end up in prison? Uh, I, you know what? Because here's the thing. I what did, happened at the 2013 Comedy Festival, you're riding high. Right. Great season at the Princess Theatre, and then everything changed. I, I think that if I am ever going to go to prison, it's probably going to be drug-related. Right. Like, you know, like, I mean, because that's about the only thing that I really feel like I do that it's the only is against, time you contravene the law like at least on purpose or at least yeah. in a way that someone would send me to prison I'm not a violent person by nature so I can't imagine even if I was really wronged I can't imagine you know sort of doing violence to another you're person you're not a vengeful soul well also I'm not very good at it so mm. I don't think that I would do violence to another person effectively enough that, no, that, you know that, what I that, could... that's the worst kind of thing is where you push to the point where you do become vengeful and because you're not very good at it, you, you get a gun from somebody in the underworld and you're all nervous and shaky and you discharge the gun and you shoot a child. Right. That's why you're in prison and they have thrown the book at you. I'm going to say <laughs> one of two things. Either that I've um, it's drug-related mm-hmm. or the other one that I do actually worry about is that I get distracted, which I do get occasionally. And oh. I hit someone in my car. All right. Boy on a bike. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, I'm changing radio stations or I'm doing whatever and I hit someone in my car. I it's do, that it's I, interesting because... I fear that. I recently did a couple of episodes of Wentworth, which is the remake of Prisoner that's going up yes. on Fox. Now, who are you in Wentworth? My character are you allowed is to tell? Stephen Phelps. Yeah. He's an English teacher that exchanges sex for drugs. Oh, my God. But, disappointingly, <laughs> I didn't get a sex scene. Hang on. He exchanges sex for drugs? Oh, with another prisoner? With a, Yeah, with the female prisoners. Hang on, so, wh- so what's when the downside to this? Yeah, well, You're getting sex and drugs? No, he, he doesn't take drugs, he gets drugs for... Oh, he the, gives the, them drugs the, and they drugs. have sex. They, okay. Yeah. And Sorry. I said to the... the <laughs> I thought this was the best deal ever. I was like, actress just... that I was like de- dealing with, I said, what kind of sex are we having? You know, are we having a knee trembler or yep. are you pulling me off or sucking me off? Because we didn't have a sex scene. Right. And I thought that it was pivotal that I know what kind of sex I we're mean, getting. you're a professional. You need yeah. to know your backstory. And Because I, I said, he's pretty pent up and he's not getting any female attention anywhere else. So and I it's a power thing. A knee trembler in the compactus of a library. Why can't they just have our ankles trembling? Right. But I spoke to the women about... They went out to the women's prison here in Melbourne. Dame Edith Frost... I'll put that name out there. I don't know whether that's That's exactly what the prison's correct. called? Yeah, I think it is. I don't know if it's a compliment to name a prison after After, you. after a person, yeah. Like, even if they've worked in the prison industry, which I assume perhaps they have, or helped prisoners or something or like that. Or some kind of humanitarian. Right. It's like, yeah, but it's still, I don't want a prison named after We're going to name this place of degradation after yeah. you because you're a good person. Yeah, the Will Anderson commemorative toilets of the hi-fi bar. No but thanks. But, of course, like we all expect, prison is full of people who are victims of their socioeconomic backgrounds. Mostly, right. Emaciated people with bad dental work obese people with bad dental work and the women who were playing these prisoners said occasionally there was a woman there that looked particularly middle class yeah and do you know what she'd done drink driving hurt someone or killed someone right and that is the fast track for someone from the middle class into prison yeah drink driving or a little bit of you know coke up your nose or a joint and you're involved in an accident where someone's hurt you're going to prison and 
that's how we would end up in prison. There's part of me that, because someone stole my car last year, and so uh, September... That's not, that's not your fault. You no. can't go to prison for that. No, but, <laughs> but, but there was part of me that when, obviously, having your car stolen is a downside, uh, but there was another part of me that was like, I have not got another car yet. And there is part of me that just feels relieved oh, right. that I'm not in a situation where... Because I do think that. I, that's my thing. Cause, particularly because I'm a pot smoker as well. Mm. Even if... Because like, I, I wouldn't get into a car and drive if I was stoned. But I but only pot, drive when I'm stoned. <laughs> I've got a huge... I'm very with Nolan and I. I've got right. a huge fun to smoke and then I pull the jag out. You've yeah. got one of those uh, four-wheel drives with those giant uh, like yeah, funnels snorkel, off the top yeah. and you've just hooked it up to a bong inside yeah. the car. Um, I, but it stays in your system for ages, right? Mm. So even if you were in an accident where you weren't pot affected, yeah. you would get charged, like you could be charged by like, you know, driving under the influence. So, Well, there's a lot of that too. In fact, there's a, a suggested campaign that's coming out where there's a judge saying, you didn't break the law. Uh, it wasn't your fault but you broke the law. Right. Where somebody who is drunk is involved in an accident where they're not in the wrong and the other person gets killed or injured, but because they're over the limit, right? You, it wasn't your fault, but you but broke you're the still, law. Yeah. And that horrifies me. Where I'm doing okay, I've got it all together, I've had a little bit of a joint, I've had two glasses of wine, and all of a sudden someone fucks up and I'm off to the can. That's the wild card. Right. Yeah. So I'm in prison for something like that. Um, I get on the gear pretty much straight away, I reckon. Because everyone's just screaming out. Well, just everyone's going to hurt me and rape yeah. me and it's all going to be horrible. <laughs> everyone's going to rape so, you. Oh, like, seriously, even guys who just like speaks and specs. Like, it's everyone's going to have a crack. Yeah. And so I'm just going to get on whatever hardcore drugs I or can get in straight away. There's just some guy that comes towards you. He's just a man mountain covered in neck tattoos. And he goes, I loved you on the glass house. <laughs> And you just go, oh, fucking thank you. He goes, no, no that's my favourite show. I've been in here for 40 years because I killed everyone I know. And you're with me and you just go, oh, fucking yes. Because well, that will happen. It's funny that you say that, Lawrence, because this is an absolutely 100% true story. I was in the valley in Brisbane. You know the valley? Tortoise oh, Valley, right? I reckon I escaped being a snuff movie <laughs> in the valley by a closing door. I heard the guys... I was on my way back to a guy's place. He was saying, oh, we got pills, we're going to have a party. And he was on the phone and I could hear him say, oh, got, I've got one. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we're on our way back now. And got off the phone and I just said, oh, mate, I'm going to go and grab my mate. Um, are you going to wait here? And he goes, yeah, no worries. And I fucked off. But I've got one. Isn't an invite yeah, to that's a party? A that's a terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> that's the start of a Liam Neeson film. That's oh. yeah. He was all like, "Oh, this is awesome! Yeah, come back with me." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Oh, you're a comedian, great. And then get, I've got one. So I could have been the very snow town anyway. I'm so having breakfast. I'm having breakfast outside Rick's in the Valley in Brisbane, five yeah. o'clock in the morning. Jesus. So already awful, just terrible. No, everything's glassy and shiny. A lot of bad decisions have already been made yeah. at this point. So I'm eating breakfast alone. There's this guy at the next table, like the sort of guy that I wouldn't ordinarily make eye contact with, like a a tough looking guy, you know, a bikey looking guy. If you want to have a look, he had that sort of like he had leathers on, big beard, long hair, like a tough. Not not. He a was on a motorbike. 
Yeah, he's a bike. <laughs> yeah. He, was, yeah, he was like eating his breakfast, but riding around on a motorbike. I reckon he was a bikey. Yeah, he was like, hey, I would go in with, with you. You guys don't have any meth, do you? Yeah, he do was biking. Do you want to buy some? So um, he uh, he's looked at me and he's caught my eye, and I knew this wasn't the greatest idea that had ever happened. Did you look away or hold his gaze? I felt like if I looked away, that was going to be the insult. Yes, that is the insult. Right. So you're you're all right in prison, okay? Right. Straight away. So. That is the insult. I've looked at him, and he's gone, hey, Will Anderson. And I was like, all right, this is what this is now. He goes, I fucking love the glass house. We used to be forced to watch it every Friday night when I was in prison. (laughs) (laughs) So... You're not actually wrong. He literally said that he had to watch it in prison on Friday night. There's still people in prison that would know you from the glass house. Right, people doing decent stretches. Now, he used to watch me every Friday When Greg night. Roberts said that to me, and I'll go back to um, the uh, to Caddyshack. Do, do you know the film Caddyshack? Of course. Well, you know, Bill Murray's character is the groundskeeper, and he said to me, you know, I was caddying for uh, the Dalai Lama, 13th son of the Lama. And we got to the uh, 18th hole, and he said to me, uh, Gunga la Gunga, Gunga la Gunga, which means uh, in Tibetan, you'll have complete consciousness on your deathbed. So I got that going for me. Well, when Greg Roberts said to me, you would flourish yeah. in prison, that was my gunga la gunga. So I go, I don't, I'm okay now. No I, matter what I, else happens, you've got a... Yeah. It's right. like the Pope has said to me, you are free to be whoever you want to be. Right. It's, and, and I think that there's a, a moment in everybody's life where they are either imprisoned or set free. We were talking about a, an incident can, right. involving a friend of ours yep. that we feel has imprisoned him yeah. for the rest of his Despite life. Despite the fact that other people... Have forgiven him. Have forgiven him. He can't forgive himself. He can't forgive himself. But beyond that, there's either that or there's that where you are blessed by someone. Right. And I think that, that, was that your day in the valley when the bike, he said, we were forced to watch the right. glass house. You're free right. to be whoever you want to be. Because if you go in the big house, right. it's not the big house, <laughs> it's the glass house. <laughs> well, as long as it's the glass house and not the open your ass house, I'm, yeah. I'm but, fine you know, with it. What, a little bit of anal sex on the side. I mean, well, don't get me wrong. If yeah. I get to know someone... Yeah. And, we're like, you and know, it's a loving relationship. Well, this is my thing. If, so, it's, if it's anal sex but not degradation, I'm bang up for it. Right, so he's... <laughs> Am I? <laughs> uh... This is an interesting question, though, because this is a joke that I... It's not really a joke. Uh, it was a thing that I riffed on in my show a couple of times before I got to that point where it wasn't necessary, and then I dropped it. You know, those sort of things where you kind of have an idea of kind of a riff on something, yeah. and you're like, I think this is a bit... And then it turns out that it really isn't, because you can't quite get the audience to understand what you're trying to say. So it's more of a statement that people go along with for a while. Well, no, it was one of those things that I thought... OK, well, I'll just tell you what it is, because it's okay. not like I'm going to do it. But it was a riff along the idea of... So I would talk about the end of the Shawshank Redemption, and then, like, my riff... Every AFL footballer's favourite film. Favourite film. Every AFL footballer's Shawshank Redemption. But great film. So the, great the, film. It came out of improvising. So I used to re, like sometimes if I was having trouble with something. So when you say the end, he's coming along the beach towards Morgan Freeman. At well, the boat. eventually this is this is where it first came. Oh, from. Spoiler alert! Yeah, <laughs> twenty-five year anniversary. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, 
so I was improvising one day, right. and we we it took ages to get to the funny bit, but we eventually got to the funny bit. So the thought came out of I said, "Oh my god!" I felt like Andy Dufresne at the end of the Shaw Tank Redemption, where I was wading through this river of shit okay. in the hope that eventually I would come out and I would get to go to a beautiful island with my best friend Morgan Freeman, where we would build a boat and I imagine have gay sex on that boat. Yeah, and the audience would always drop off of that and I would always be like come on they were, we're in prison alone. together we're in prison together and now we're alone on an island on a boat are you saying that like I'm not because I'm heterosexual but if I am on a boat on an island with only one other person no one's heterosexual but, the, but that's what I mean heterosexual is a fallacy but, but, well I I understand exactly yeah. what you mean by that yeah I think I'm very much that Kinsey idea that sexuality is a spectrum and everyone is yeah, somewhere on that spectrum. Sand of course. And why would anyone pigeonhole themselves apart from taking a political stand? Absolutely. I.e. homosexuals are discriminated right. against. For the rest of us, we can choose. You want to right. make love to a houseplant? Wrap the foliage around your genitals. Since Lenny Bruce, like, you know, did a bit about the fact that people are like, you know, like, he was like, well, do you prefer to have sex with women or sex with men? And he goes, well, which man and which woman? Like, I mean, the truth of it is that that's the choice. Yeah. Right. So this is, I only say that I'm okay. heterosexual for the point of, to define Illustrate. the next thing that I'm going to say, which sure. is, no matter how heterosexual I am, even if I was the most heterosexual person on the planet, if the only other person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with on with on a boat is my best friend you can't tell me that at some stage you're not going to have sex with each other or some kind of sex with each other right no i reckon i'm much more less likely to have homosexual sex with a friend than i am with a complete stranger yeah but what if you're on a boat forever together Uh, you're the only people there no no are you going to spoil what you had yeah it's going to just make it a bit weird if i suck my friend off and I understand what you're saying, but right. I just can't go there with a friend. And I'm I'm sexually quite open. But, but been... if you said to me, I'm going to spend the rest of my life on a boat with Morgan Freeman or Timothy Robbins, yeah. you choose which one are you going to see? Oh, which one would you sleep with? Okay, yeah, yeah that's good. Cause... Which one are you going to get busy fucking or get busy dying with? <laughs> 25-year-old joke. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon... It's Robbins. I reckon uh, Freeman doesn't do it for me. No, I'm going to go with Freeman. Really? So yeah. we're, we're happily... Right. So we can split right there right. on the beach. We can double date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can double date the Shawshank Redemption. We can, we can There's no up, jealousy. We can rock up in another boat. Yeah. <laughs> just like, nearby guys. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. We're from we Australia. We feel like we've got a solution <laughs> for your dilemma. <laughs> Because we're friends and, and I just can't. Yeah, not between us, but, but we've yeah. both chosen one of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we pitched that idea in LA and people go, I don't think people are going to go for yeah. it. It's Shawshank Redemption 2. Yeah. <laughs> you know how Sex it's very popular with your AFL footballers? <laughs> I don't think this. It's interesting to me that you say that idea of that you would find it easier to have sex with a stranger. stranger. Of the same sex. Of the same sex than... A friend. A friend. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? Um, oh, I get that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, this I, is, I, I think the By the way, is... this podcast is the safest space you will ever talk about things. <laughs> yeah. Firstly. I, I Secondly, think the I talk quite complex. a lot about... Uh, just to put this in context before you get to it, I've spoken quite openly on this uh, show uh, about the fact that I live right near a beat. Right. Like right near a beach. I, on uh, Camp Cove in Sydney, there's a prominent gay nude beach, and I, that's where I go for my walk near my house, and men disappear into those 
bushes and have sex with each other. That's and where you go for your walk like six or seven times six a day. Six or seven times a day. Yeah. <laughs> six or seven times every morning. <laughs> I, But I do. And I will watch. Like, now, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. So, like... The, the idea of having sex with a friend or um, even family member... Yeah. Uh, to take it onto a kind of a heterosexual, homosexual level, right. is I I think I might be stuck in a little bit in the Madonna whore right. sexual yeah. psychology. I think that's very okay. common for men. And so I, um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that I have a, you know, a sexual relationship with my wife, but I think that our um, status... Uh, changes a couple of times in any given sexual encounter. What do you mean by that? By by that I mean I am loving partner and confidant. I'm then sexually dominant and sexually submissive, but I'm never only one. That's very hard, I think, for people to do, though. Like, I, I think that that's probably what happens, but to, to think that you take... Because I think we're attracted to people and you think, okay, I want to fuck this person, and then you probably find out about them. Right. I no, think no, that's I probably the order of things. Well, I think a lot of the time these days it is. And, I've, yeah, you know, it happens. It, whatever way it happens, if you know someone very deeply and personally for a long time, then to cross over into a sexual relationship is a massive jump. Right. Because I think that sex is an improvisation along with the beginning of a relationship. But doesn't it also depend on what they're like sexually? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's people that I've met over the years. Like, you know, and just to put this in a completely historic... I mean, I'm talking over a period of 20 years. Where you'd meet someone and you just know that you could have sex... As in, like, you know that you'll have sex with that person and they would like to have sex with you and there's no... There's nothing else to it. Yeah. Like, you know, they're cool with that and that's fine. And and then you have relationships with people where you like them almost too much to have the sort of sex with them that you would like to have and they would like to have or whatever. Those first kind of people you're talking about who are sexually um, quite capable without blurring it with the emotion, I wish I was one of them, but I always get emotionally involved. I can't have sex without emotion unless it's a complete stranger. Really? Yeah. Um, It's interesting. Because I do a lot of weeping during sex. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be with someone I can trust. <laughs> it was like, excuse me, could you get some tissues? Uh, I think I'm sexually quite uh, quite weird. What do you I mean, mean, I can pretend to be. Well, I, I will ask for things that most people will go, oh, really? Do you want like that? Like what? <laughs> like, I mean, if you're willing to put on the public record, you don't have to, but safe space. I, I want people to rim me. I just don't think that's that unusual. Good. Okay. Thank you for making me feel like I'm normal. Safe space. I that's told nice. you. I've come. I may be wrong. On there may be people like sitting at home going, "That is because really unusual." I, but but I, you know, but, you know, monkey see, monkey do. I am a fucking rumor from way back. Right. I love a bit of tangy anus. I will clean house for you. I don't, I don't really understand why people. I mean, obviously, like in fact, shit I love comes that, out of there. But yeah, I love that kind of whole area of the human. But isn't male it male or female? Right. It's like the 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 taste. But isn't it something whole... also about it? The fact that it does like it feel. I mean, it's primal. Like what you're doing is connecting with something that's very very oh, primal. And I right? do, and I that's another thing. It's like I, fucking I do get, I do get primal. In like the you know what I mean? Like, bedroom. I prefer to use okay, a series though. of grunts rather than. I will never 
do talking during right. sex. I don't do dirty talking. I do dirty grunting. I become like an animal. All right, I've got an interesting question for you, which is this. <laughs> uh, do you expect the same thing from your partner as you do yourself, or are you fine? Because you, when you say, I'm not a big talker, does that mean that you don't want your partner to talk? Or are you a person no, 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 who rather your talking. partner do something different to what you're actually capable of doing yourself? Because I think out. that's interesting. Because there's things that I enjoy other people to do if I was, like, in bed with them mm. that I am not confident or capable or it's not part of my makeup enough to do myself, if that makes sense. This is something that my wife does, and I think that she'd be fine with me telling well, this on a so. podcast that goes around the world. But seventy countries. This happened. Hello, to the, anyone in? This uh, happened the first Poland. time we had sex, and that quite often happens. Mm. And she's a laugher at a oh, at a really right. at, at yeah. both in foreplay and at sexual climax. Right. She really laughs quite hard, and it can be it would be very off putting uh, for some people. But right, I have known it for a long time and so it's great but it's just one of those things you express yourself in a whole different loads of ways and she laughs she laughs really hard either she laughs to express herself sexually or i'm so bad at sex that she just laughs her her head off and like look at him he thinks he's like the king of the apes up there grunting away (laughs) and she It'd be, it'd be great she if, can't repress the It'd be laughter. great if she was like, I love you so much, I've got some Barry judges in. Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a, I feel that this is really good. Why are you doing this? That's interesting, though, because like I um, am not a dirty talker, but I... Dirty talking is you've got to school yourself. You just can't... I feel like as a comedian, Can you talk it's about so your own hard. Cock? What about my big, I fat can't. cock inside I'm you? I'm a stand-up like, comedian. What? Nothing. Like, do you mean? Like, I can't say those words without assessing them through the mind of what we are, which is that you can't say those but things. But do you obfuscate by... Do you obfuscate and hide behind comedy when you're in bed? No. Rather than letting your oh, true self God, come no. out? I don't want them to... No, you, you let your true self terrible. come out. No, I can't, though. Like, I'm saying that I can't, but I would like it in someone else. Right. Like, I am very open-minded. We'd all like it in someone else. Yeah. <laughs> But this is how I, this is my description of open-minded. I'm as open-minded as you will give me permission to be as my partner. But okay. I'm not so open-minded that if you're not like you know, I mean, I, I'm open-minded I in that exactly whatever what you mean. suggest, I'm up for it. But if you don't suggest it, I'm not going to be like, and, hey, we should like. And I applaud people who are so sexually self-possessed that they can say, all right, we're going to do this, right, and then I'm going to tie you up. Then we're going to piss on one another. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> then we're going to fuck. And you go, all right, no worries. Well, you've got a plan. But the idea <laughs> that I'm going to suggest that. Right, I could never. It's like the could same never. reason why I applaud the cult leader. Right. Okay. The obese, bearded, odd guy right. that gets a whole lot of women in a compound and he fucks them all. It's oh, like, man. hold on. It's I genius. have trouble holding down one relationship. Um. Today's interesting, Will, because uh, I have a, a show coming up on the ABC, ABC2, May 16th at 9.30 at night. I have the premiere of my own show. Oh, and what sort of show is it, Lawrence? It's a... Because you had the, that great uh, show during the Paralympics, so actually, Kane and Disabled. Kane and Disabled was a 10-part interstitial uh, very, very funny. Thanks a lot. And is this what did very it come edgy. out of this sort of thing? Is that part well, it of came, this? It or? came off the back of it in that ABC2 saw me and thought, there's a talent we'd like to use. 
And so at the tender age of uh, 48, I'm, you know, getting a start. But I could, is it? I could, win, I could win a best newcomer, Logie. Like Joel Madden, next who's year. not from Australia <laughs> and on The Voice. So, but it's true, you know, we both started doing stand-up in 94, and right. so that idea of being a, an overnight success after 20 years... There's, there's, but here's a, what there's I, truth in that, Matt. Here's what I would say in this. is A, you've had quite a great deal of success. Oh, yeah, I've had a fair like, slice of the pie. Right. But also, the other thing is, if we were in America or if we were in the UK, people would expect that. Because people, in comedy, your best years, and I have said this over and over again, and maybe it's a self-serving thing to say, but I think the evidence backs it up. Your best years of stand-up comedy are between the age of 40 and 50. Right. Do you mean like as in like because you're at that? Well, they certainly have been for me. You look at Seinfeld, you look at Ricky Gervais, you look at Louis C.K. Well, you find you get a voice, and you also get that uh, I don't give a fuck. But also, attitude. but the other thing is, you're basically let's say that most people live to say seventy five, eighty. So in those years, you are at the best point to talk to everyone. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're in the midpoint, and it's true. You're old enough to understand what old people think. You, but you can't, you're not so far from being young that you don't remember what it's like to be young. And also, you're old enough to understand women as completely as you ever will. Right. Because I think once you get a little bit older, your uh, view hardens and becomes more conservative, and so you understand less. I hope that I'm not like that, but I, I do see people like become too, like that. But I think men grow to understand women less. I, I think, think that between right. 40 and 50, you're in that prime position. But uh, Dirty Laundry Live is going to be a half-hour weekly comedy discussion about celebrity. What do you mean by that? Um, basically, we're going to trawl through the trash of the week that populates Popular all culture. of those magazines. Yeah, right. New, New Weekly, OK, um, Hello, Famous, Woman's Day, New Idea for the I guess your yeah, E-News, that sort of like thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's not going to be an... OMG or a TMZ, yeah. it's going to be a comedy a show. A commentary about. on those sort of and things. And right? I have wrestled with the idea of me hosting a show about celebrity, but the way I look at celebrity is that celebrity, especially our contemporary obsession with the complete um, saturation of celebrity. Well, it's, it's, a, it's the, the number. I mean, you know, you look at those surveys of children, <laughs> like if you want to put it in a context of. Um, you know, like a theoretical context. You know, the, the 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 big trend has been now when you ask kids these days what they want to be, it's they don't want to be firemen, they don't want to be policemen, they don't want to be right. truck drivers, they want to be celebrities, they want to be famous. Right. It doesn't matter what they don't they don't want to say I want to be a singer or I want to be a comedian or I want to be I want a to sports be person. They can say I want to be famous. And that kind of feeds into my way of looking at celebrity is that it's a prism through which we view humanity. Because celebrity represents our greatest fears and our big dreams right. and all of our romances and essentially I think at the heart of the basic 11 celebrity stories, cheating, drug addiction, career, beauty, blah, 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 is the desire to be loved. Right, of course. And so Lohan... Uh, is loved, then she's dumped and she ends up in rehab and then she comes out of rehab and she ends up in love and then she goes on a bender and out of love and it's all cause and effect. But it's also, uh, and this kind of complements what you said about children, it's the modern-day fairy tale. Right. It's our, it, they're our moral stories. I mean, look at... You know, Don't Kill the Goose That Laid the Golden Egg, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, all the Grimm's fairy tales, they're right there in celebrity. I mean, but also just even the fact that, 
you know, like Kim Kardashian, you know, there was an article in the paper today about whether being pregnant had hurt her brand. And I was like, that's because her brand is not doing anything. Yeah. Like, her brand is just being Kim Kardashian. And it- Like, she doesn't actually have a skill... Like, if you had actually had a skill, like, I mean, and I don't even mean this as a diss to her particularly, mm. I just mean that her entire empire is built on her being Kim Kardashian. And I would say to Kim Kardashian, having really subsumed myself with the world of celebrity recently, does pregnancy hurt your brand? No, it doesn't, because it's one of the primary celebrity stories. Of did, course, Did right? it hurt the brand of the Virgin Mary? Right. No. Because it ended with Jesus. And it wasn't even Kanye. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was God, not a guy who thought he was God. (laughs) Yeah. Pregnancy doesn't fuck with your your brand. Pregnancy is almost one of the primo um, uh, celebrity stories. Well, that elevates you because it, every single person on the planet if, has, has come out of a pregnancy. Yes, absolutely. But it, it elevates you to top position, right? If you don't do one thing, what, which is what become a mother. Because what do you mean by that? Because you don't become a you don't like become a, a, like a story in a celebrity magazine if you're a mother, right? No, you, one's be, you become mother. you become a mother reclaiming her body. So we want to know about your diet regime and your body post pregnancy right how, or, how, how long you lost how long it took to lose the weight how long it t- looked took to lose the weight and how long it started uh took before you started back in the studio right or on the new film set or started having sex with Kanye again. Or, or having sex yeah. my post baby sex life yeah. is a big story that's a good story but do you know what i've i've turned my back on it all to bake that ain't a celebrity story that anyone wants to know except your children. Yeah. So in order to maintain a celebrity life, you probably take a dump on your children to a certain right. extent. But let's, again, qualify every story in that celebrity world is fabricated. Right, of course. Because they're fairy tales. Oh, my God. But here's the thing that I find amazing is that I am on both sides of this, right? Right. In that... I'm a person who... Have you been a victim of the media? Yeah, I have. Yeah, definitely. At least sometimes my fault and sometimes not. I once... The, the, the most intrusive uh, I ever felt, like where I felt like they just stepped over the line. And for me... Saffron going through your rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> I, I come to this from two different perspectives, which is I trained as a journalist. And I love the media, and I think the media has a very important role in keeping the bastards on us. But at the same time, I'm now someone who they, people write about in the media as well. So years ago when Amy You're and I... feeding the media. ...split up for the first time. I'd never right. talked about my relationship publicly. We'd never been one of those couples who went to a movie premiere or traded on the fact that we were a couple or right. used it for press. I wrote a column. I was writing a column for the, the Sunday magazine at the time, and I wrote a column about the fact that I was going to therapy to deal with how I felt about, you know, our relationship breaking up. And I felt bad about it because, A, it had been my first true love and it had broken up. But, B, I felt bad about it because I'd made my share of mistakes as much as she had. Like, you know, when something like that breaks up, it's never one person's fault. It's probably both of your faults. And interestingly enough, I think that no matter what the degrees of harm are, even if the other person harmed you more than me, and that, that, that's not what I'm saying what happened in this situation, but even in that hypothetical situation, I think eventually you always feel worse about the things that you did rather than the things that the other person did, even if they outweigh yeah, the I, things that you did. You know what I mean? If you're a sensitive thinking person, you end up blaming yourself. Right. So I wrote a column about the fact that I was seeking therapy to deal with that. 
And the newspaper that I worked for, the one that I was employed for, got my copy and they got one of their entertainment journalists to write a breakup story with my girlfriend where they used stuff I'd written in my column, which was about going to therapy and never mentioned Amy, as quotes about Amy, like, you know, as if I was talking to them. Like, they, they branded it exclusive. It ran on page three of the Sunday paper. And it was as if I'd sat down with them and given them quotes for this story. And who came out copying it in the guts, you or Amy? Well, I mean, the thing is that the only thing that was a problem was that, that, that she, it sounded like I was talking about her when, if you read the column, right. which was in that same paper, you, you were very aware that I'd never mentioned yeah, her. I wasn't talking about her at, at yeah. all. yeah. But people don't put those together. No, and they don't ever... Uh, they also talked about my battle with depression, and I felt really sensitive about that because, because I don't think I've ever had depression. I think I've been depressed. Yeah. And I think it's disrespectful because... And I think it's very... People very close to me in my to real life, right? Yeah. And people who are in my life, and it's not my place to talk about it right now, but people who are very close to me in my life have literally suffered with depression yeah and so as a person who was just depressed because i broke up with my girlfriend who i loved i didn't think that i felt like they were misrepresenting what i was saying yeah i was saying i'm sad and i need some help but they were saying you know my battle with depression which was and a lot of people what i said would tie you with that celebrity thing of hanging your hat on an illness that perhaps you didn't have well but even worse than that was that i felt like a lot of times people would come up to me and actually thank me like, you know, for saying, hey, I'm glad that you came out and talked about that because I also suffer from that. But at the same time, I'd be like, I'm glad that it helped you, but that isn't actually what I was doing. Like, that wasn't what I was... Now, whenever we have a conversation, Will, it always has a million tributaries. But I'll come right. back to why I'm excited about the last few days. So I'm no, doing I want to on talk, the ABC. I talk about this. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this show on the ABC called Dirty Laundry Live. Yes. And I'm uh, panic-stricken about the idea of hosting my own show because it's very easy to sit back and put shit on other people, but when it's in your lap, it's so a different is, thing. It's, it's a half-an-hour show? It's half an hour. Have you filmed any already? It's, no, it's live. Oh, it's live. live. It's three, two... And so how does it work? Can you have to talk about how yeah, it works? Yeah, it's uh, basically going to be um, a comedy panel quiz show, and I know that that's a new idea. I don't think anyone's ever seen no, the comedy no, no, panel quiz show before. But what we're going to do is make the quiz very secondary to the content. Right. Like Which QI. Which is the best way. Yeah. Uh, and make the conversation the primo thing, like QI. Did you do the QI live shows when they came to Australia? No. But I'm a big fan of QI, and so it's I'm following show. that QI format in that um, I'm going to have one offsider and three guests, basically. And my offsider right. is going to be Brooke Satchwell. Oh, and I Brooke, love Satchwell Brooke Satchwell is amazing. She, she messaged knocked, me the other day out of the blue. She knocked me out in the audition because we auditioned a She's lot of comedians great. and She's funny, and actresses and celebrities. And Brooke hit it out of the park. She's got you know that X factor to burn. She's just amazing. She's lived a very interesting life, and so I think I'm going to have a great time with Brooke. I'll tell you an interesting Brooke Satchwell story. Is that uh, so? I've got a random message the other night after my show, and you know, like, did you go to the Logies on Sunday? No, I don't go. You don't go. I don't go. After what? Why? Well, you know, okay. Well, to stop down for this in a second, we'll get back to your show and we'll get okay. back to Brooke. But it's very simple, which is this: I never went. 
I never went. For years I'd been nominated and I never went because, to be honest, for two reasons. One, there's a snobby part of me still that just sits in that room and thinks there's so much great Australian television, and I honestly believe there is, and none of it's celebrated tonight. And so I don't like it because of that. If I went to an awards night where I felt like the best stuff that's on Australian TV was actually being celebrated, I would love the Logies. Yeah, it's a bit of a Channel 9 party. Right. But the second reason is this, and this is the most important reason, is that I've seen over the years comedians get weak on things when they know people. Right? You know, like, once you know someone... And, look, I've been guilty of this myself. Like, over the years, like... And I mean, not that I would ever make a joke about this person because he's a friend of mine, but this is kind of the point I'm trying to make is like Rove, for example. You know, over the years where someone will try to get up you about Rove or whatever, like, you know, because of whatever they think. He wins three gold logies, so they want to make fun of him because he's Rove. But Rove's my friend, and I can't make fun of Rove because I like Rove, and he does this podcast, and he's always been but a good friend But if he wasn't your friend and you're a million miles away... Maybe I would, you'd right? you tear the house down. So I try to yeah. keep a million miles away from... People, well, I, I think that's not so a bad that idea. I can have a so I can do my job properly. So you're not right? diplomatically compromised, right? I can't say, but Russell Crowe's a great bloke. I can't make but that joke or been. whatever. You have been. So this is were you? Well, you were part of the Devony year of right control. Absolutely. So here's what happened. I got quite a lot of pressure from Andrew Denton and Anita Jacoby, who produced my television show, to go to the Logies because I was nominated for a Gold Logie. And they thought it would be disrespectful to the television industry if I got nominated for Gold Logie and I didn't go to the Logies. So against my better judgment, I went to the Logies. And then I got drunk and then I tweeted about the Logies. Everyone gets drunk. And then that was all over the papers. Yeah. And then I went back the next year and I did the same thing and it was all over the papers. Then I went, well, I'm done. I'm not going back anymore. So we were nominated for something this year, but I don't go. Grand Transfer was nominated, which I think is one of the great shows on Australian television. I think it's a really good show. The great thing about the Logies now is that it's on during the comedy festival, so I don't have to make a choice. Because my number one job is stand-up comedy. Yeah. It clashes with me doing my number one job. I don't even have to make up an excuse. I just go, no, I'm going to tell jokes in a room. And having made that choice, that seems like a happy choice for you too. I've made the choice. It's a brilliantly happy choice to me. Stand-up comedy is the choice. Yeah. So, uh, Brooke Satchwell was what I wanted to talk to you okay. about. So, the other night... So, after Brooke, I'll come back to my point. Right. So, after... Um, uh, people are used to tangents on this show. Sure. So, um, uh, after my show the other night, I've got a message from someone, and it just says, I still think I could take your jokes per minute, but great show. Are you coming to this shit fight on Sunday? Brooke. And out of my, like, I mean, obviously everyone listening knows who it's going to be, but I didn't know who it was because I didn't recognise the number, and I was like... Oh, someone's been a bit cocky about how they can be funnier than me, like jokes for a minute, and then they're like coming into this thing on Sunday. I was like, who the fuck is this? Like, and so I had to message back, and it was Brooke Satchwell, who is, in my opinion, also one of the fucking funniest people that she's I've ever met. Like, funny. she's funny. People will find that out. I think they will too. She's and gold, also, man. You know, she's not uh, a little girl hiding oh, her light under know. a bushel. She's a, a woman that's had a great deal of experience, both on and off the screen. Right. And she's just an amazing I'm a very big fan of hers. I agree. So the last three days, you know, I've been going through about... We're five weeks out from the opening night and I'm, uh, you know, nervous because we can't talk about content. We can talk about format and we can talk about 
you know, things will do. But it's going to be a popular culture show, so it's it's not going to until the Content's weekend start doing it. Content's not ready for three days before, maybe two. I mean, with Gru- with Guru and Planet, we film on Tuesday for Wednesday. Yeah. So there's literally weeks where you're like, oh my god, Lance Armstrong happened. This is easy. And then yeah. next week you're like, um, Brunette Ilston went to the Brownlow. I don't know what we'll talk about. So, so you, yeah, uh, having you know. Um, a fair amount of experience in media and, and stand-up. I've been seeking the, the counsel of, uh, you know, mentors who have sat in front of the camera live television. Yep. And so Thursday I spoke to a good friend of mine, our mentor, Steve Izard, because he did Tonight Live for, I think, six years. Yep. And, uh, and it was, like, the biggest thing in Australia at the time. Yeah, and won a gold Logie. And was huge, and so he gave me some great advice. And then I was coming out of the ABC, and I ran into Sean McAuliffe, and uh, he said, "How's the show going? You know, when do you start shooting?" I said, "Well, it's live." And he said, "Well, you don't have to answer how the show's going because you don't have a show until you have a show." And, and so he gave me some advice, and so now I thought, "Here oh, I am. Here? You are." You are the third in the triumvirate. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Because um, you've done it. You've done it with the glass house, as we mentioned, the prison house. Yeah, the prison house. Um, the Gruen transfer. And so you know TV, you know live TV. Well, live. Live to tape. Tape. That's what we do, live and to tape. And so what's your advice for me, Will? Wow. Um, it's very interesting you say that because I'm, I'm not sure that I know a lot about television. Like, I really am not sure that I do. It, I don't, it's not a thing that I really understand. Um, I have managed to find some jobs over the years doing it that suit the limited range of skills I have. So the first thing I would probably say is work out what you do well and just focus most of what you have to do on that. Right. Don't worry about doing things well that you're not good at. Here's what you know what blows me away. Still, I went on Rove Live one night, and during the thing, he had to like plug a CD or a DVD, and he literally mid chat while he's looking at you one direction, whacks his hand out in the other direction, and hits a spot on a table that means that that camera will get that like CD, and he continues talking while he's doing that. Right. Right. He can do that. If I had to do that. I would not listen to you for the last two minutes of your answer because I'd be concentrating so hard on putting this thing on this fucking spot that I wouldn't. Yeah. So what I would firstly say is find out whatever you think you, uh, you're good at and just do that. Don't worry about the things you're not good at. Don't worry about those. The second thing is... Yeah, if- I think pretending to be something you're not. Like get on there and be broadcaster guy, you know. Like, Eddie McGuire's an amazing broadcaster. No doubt. He doesn't miss a beat. He remembers everything he's got to remember. But I'm not Eddie McGuire. I'm, I'm me. So I mean, I'm going to be me. I find with Gruen, the, the very things that the first two years I got fought against that I was doing, you're too rude to the guests, you're too disrespectful of the other panellists, you're, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, the, the things that I used to get in trouble with are the things that n- people now think are my right. trademarks. You know, I love that you're disrespectful of the guests. I love that you'll just put someone down. But they were the very things that early on were the things that they told me to stop doing. Which you can so easily resign from. Right. Because somebody says they don't like it. It's like, so their opinion is... The opinion that matters. I'm a very big believer in I'd rather fail being myself yeah. than succeed pretending to be someone else. I like so, the idea that we're going to win the premiership or we're going to fail playing interesting football. Right. But, but I'm I agree. not going to be... 
I, and I'm, I've briefed the riders. I said, we're not going to be the same. Please don't let me be the same. No. Whenever you see me going into the area of presenter, don't let me be that. I think that's, that's not me. Absolutely the way to do it. I look at something like Chelsea Handler's show in the US, right? Or John Stewart's show, right? The Daily Show. Yeah. Now, the, what people forget is The Daily Show existed before John Stewart. Oh, really? Yeah. Craig Kilborn used to host The Daily Show. Right. It's a pre existing format, but it became successful when John Stewart did it because John Stewart made it John Stewart's show. Yeah. Right? It's got the attitude of John Stewart. I think as the host of any show, what you're saying is, hey, I always think as a host, this is your job. You're the captain of the plane, right? Yeah. You're the pilot. You know at the start when the pilot comes on and says, hey, we're going to take it up to 30,000 feet and we're going to take it around to the left? No one on board needs that information. Mm-hmm. There's not one person who's sitting there going, are you sure not 28,000 and to the... So- like, it's literally just the, the captain coming on and saying, hey, someone up the front knows what they're doing. The rest of you can relax, Right. And as a host of a television show, I think that's your job. You're basically just going to go out and say to the audience, it's cool, I'm in charge, sit back, relax, we'll entertain you, right? So if you get that first, I think the rest of it flows from that. Right. On a really practical level, I would say this, blink. Blink. If you are using an auto cue at any stage and you don't blink, it looks like you're reading. But if you blink, it looks like you're not reading. Blink. Blink. It doesn't seem like a natural thing to do because you're reading something off an auto cue. You can't host a TV mm-hmm. show without fucking using an auto cue at some stage, right? So even if, or you've got an earpiece or you've got something, yeah. right? I use auto cue on Gruen because I don't like earpiece. I don't want anyone in my head while I'm doing a show. You do 7 p.m. project, they have earpieces, no auto cue. You know what I mean? So, but. Auto, uh, earpieces are disconnect, isn't it? Right. I don't want anyone else in my ear. I'm fucking yeah. flying the plane. Like, I'm not being talked down. Mm. I'm happy to have an auto cue because I've agreed what's on the auto cue and it's just telling me where we're up to or what I'm meant to say next or yeah, give me a thing I can go back to. But That's one of the great benefits blink. of being live is that you, know, you can have that interference as much as they like. But when the countdown's done and they point to you, it's like, I'm going to do what I like. And the other thing is that I would and say... that will be exciting. Particularly about ABC and ABC2 is that... The line is 5% further than where they think the line is. Right. Don't, wherever, because particularly when you're doing live TV, what that ends up being, and the project is live TV, but what they end up doing is stopping before the line instead of stepping over the line. Right. Because it's live. Or even up to it. Right. Step up. Step over. It's live. Sometimes you'll have to say sorry. That's fine. But fucking step over because that's why people are going to be interested. We have to finish up because right. I've got to go and do a stand-up comedy show. Uh, Lawrence Mooney, um, I, there's a couple of things that I want to mention because I'm going to put this podcast up tomorrow. So uh, firstly, the new show starts what day? May 16th. And it's ABC called, again? Dirty Laundry Live. Dirty Laundry Live. And for how long is it going? At 16 episodes. And what night of the week is that? Thursday, 9.30. Brilliant. It's going to be great. It is going to be great. Yeah. That'll be great. So firstly, that. Secondly, um, some people might hear this before the Meribel gig on Monday, which you do every year at the Melbourne Monday Comedy 15th Festival. Monday 15th at the Hi-Fi Bar. This year's a massive music lineup. Um, we've got Tim Rogers. Uh, wow. Mark Seymour. Wow. Rebecca it's like Barnard, the best uh, artists of the fucking 80s and 90s of Australia. Ella Hooper. Wow. Painters and Dockers. Oh, are you fucking serious? Serious. So Nude school. Come on down to Nude School. Yeah. All right. Um, take your gear off. Uh, Dave Hughes, Claire Hooper, Charlie Pickering. Um, 
I'm going to be emceeing, of course, Fleety will be there. And in a few very rare Melbourne appearance, we've got Daniel Kitson. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Brilliant. So it's going to be a massive thing. And the Mirabelle Foundation, Foundation looks after children who have been orphaned or abandoned due to parental drug abuse. So it's a great cause, but it's going to sell out. So buy tickets or get there early. Beautiful. Thanks very much for being part of this, Lawrence. We'll have to have you back again. Uh, it's been you. awesome. Nice one. Cheers. Cheers.